All right. Let me pray for us, and we're going to go ahead and get started in our, our teaching time uh, this evening. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would bless us as we uh, are gathered together. It's been a while since we've been able to have youth ministry here. And God, I'm so eager uh, to, to get into our, our topic for tonight, eager to see what your word has to say. Um, and God, I pray for these students who have come from very busy lives and very busy schedules that you would allow their hearts to slow down and to appreciate the fact that when your word is read and taught, this is the living God of the universe is speaking to us. And so, Father, I pray that you would be gracious to us to allow us to be attentive to your word, humble before your word, transformed by your word, um, so we can live in a way that honors you. So we thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we are moving along in our study of the book of Colossians, right? And Paul is starting to kind of get into this portion of Colossians where he's going to talk about what life looks like when all of life is about Jesus, okay? And we're getting to this part in Colossians chapter three, where he's going to get really, really practical. And he has these two verses in verses 18 and 19, where he says this, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. He kind of throws this out there, right? And he says, here's what it looks like to live for Jesus. There's some instructions for husbands and instructions for wives. Now, my guess is that the first time you hear this, right, maybe if this is not a passage you've seen before, the first question that would come to mind for many of you would be like, okay, what the heck? <laughs> what is he talking about? Like, I think, especially when you hear this first statement, right, it's like the wives are called to submit to their husbands, that might catch some of you guys off guard. I mean, it's like kind of a surprising thing, maybe an offensive thing or a confusing thing. Um, and you might be kind of confused by what all that means. And that might be one question, like, what the heck? What does this all mean? And the second question you might have is, what does this have to do with me, right? I'm in high school. Uh, I'm just trying to figure out, like, you know, what finals I have to take, you know, by the end of the semester. I have no idea what's going on. Like, why in the world would this passage about marriage and husbands and wives, what does this have anything to do with me? And so even though it's just two verses, right, two sentences in this book of Colossians in this part, it kind of introduces this whole Russian nesting doll of questions, right, where you have questions about this, which leads to questions about this, which leads to questions about this. So what I thought we would do before we actually study these passages in Colossians is kind of pump the brakes a little bit and slow down and zoom out a little bit and start a three-week series on dating, romance, and the glory of God, okay? So before we even touch this passage in Colossians, we're going to spend a couple of weeks just trying to get our bearings a little bit about what does God really think about this whole idea of relationships and romance and marriage and getting ready for all that stuff. So today we're going to try to get a big picture of it and talk about like what is the, how should Christians at a big picture level start thinking about dating? Next week, we're going to get a little more nuts and bolts, and we're going to talk about what dating as a Christian actually looks like. And then after that, then we're going to come back to this verse in Colossians, and we're going to talk about what Paul means when he talks about wives conducting themselves a certain way and husbands conducting um, themselves in a certain way. And in God's providence, like teaching on Sunday is going from, uh, is actually, we're actually starting a big discussion about marriage and husbands and wives roles and things like that. So it all will kind of dovetail together. And so there are probably going to be some questions that come up just based on the stuff I talk about. And I think that it will also be supplemented by the stuff that you guys will hear on Sunday if you come to worship with us on Sundays. But yeah, I think this is going to be a really great thing for us to think about together. And, and so I'm going to be talking a lot. I always talk a lot, but I'll be you know, up here giving these sermons. And one of the things that, that does not really allow for is knowing where you guys are at. Um, and, and so I realized that there's a lot of questions, right? And a lot of like, well, what about this? And what about this? That I may not know or be aware of, and we may not have time to talk about really in depth, you know, as I'm up here preaching. And so all that to say is, I really want to know what your questions are. And your small group leaders really want to know what your questions are. And so at the end of small group today, there's a question in your notes, I think, that's just like, what questions do you have, right? And so even if it doesn't necessarily seem super related to anything that we talked about tonight, like if you just have a question about this stuff, you know, ask it, you know, and your small group leaders, I haven't, you know, they're not expected to know the answer um, and to give the answer. But I think tonight what we're going to do is just kind of explore it and we're going to kind of figure out the best way to get some of those questions answered, okay? Um, and, and so oftentimes people speak on things because they have a lot of experience in that area. Um, I don't know if that's exactly what you want when it comes to, to dating, um, and I'm going to confess that I have a lot of experience in dating. 
And that is maybe not the greatest thing, okay? So for those of you guys who don't know, uh, so I'm married to my wife, Jamie. We've been married for it'd be 15 years in May. And uh, we dated for nine years um, before we got married. And so we actually met when we were freshmen in high school. So I was, yeah, I think I was 14 years old. And we were both running cross country. Um, and because, you know, I, I definitely wasn't going to make the basketball team. So I had to just join the team that had no cuts. Right? So I, I went to, the, I went to the, the, the cross country team and, and it was fun. And, you know, as cross country teams oftentimes do, right, you have like a big circle where everyone's stretching, kind of getting ready for their runs. And I saw this really cute girl across the stretching circle. And I thought, you know, I feel like I got some Riz. We didn't say Riz back then, but hey, where's, where's Daniel at? I got it. Where's he at? So, um, I, so I thought, yeah, I, could, I, could, I feel like I can talk to this girl. So I walked over to her and, um, and I said, yeah, I started, you know, just you know, casually stretching, you know, doing the casual stretching and getting, talking to her about some stuff. And, and so oh, it'd be great. You know, good, you know, glad you're running and stuff like that. And then uh, at some point I worked up the courage to ask her for her number. Okay. And back then, no one had cell phones, right? So for me to ask for, for her number was the same number phone that her parents use, right? So it's kind of a scary thing. And so I asked her for her number and feeling pretty confident about this whole interaction. And, uh, and she looks at me and she says, why? So, oh, never mind. And then I ran away. I literally ran away. I ran on, I went on a five mile run and it was great. And, uh, and one thing led to another and now we have three kids. And... Uh, and so, all of, so eventually I got her number, right? I don't know how I, know how I got her number. Uh, we started dating. I told her I liked her on March 16th, 1999. Um, and so we're coming up. We're coming up on like our, what is that, 24th, no, 25th anniversary of, of telling her I like her, okay? And, uh, and so we dated, you know, there were some weird ups and downs and stuff like that, you know, because we were in high school. Uh, but we dated pretty much from that moment till... Uh, like I got, in, we got engaged the first year of grad school. And we got a year, I got married a year after that. I think I was 23, 24, I don't know, somewhere around there. Okay. All I have to say is I dated her a long time, a really long time, like longer than some of those, like some of the kids in the church had been alive. Right. And, um, and so you, so for, I don't know. So to say that I have experience in dating, you know, it's almost like someone saying like they repeated the sophomore year of high school five times, like, they have a lot of experience in it. And he's like, I don't know. Do you do I really want to talk to you about like how the sophomore year of high school is supposed to go? Right? It's experience, but it's maybe not the kind of experience you want. Um, and honestly, I started dating when I was really young. And I, I was a Christian, but I wasn't a particularly mature Christian. I wasn't thinking very hard about what dating was supposed to be. Uh, I was a Christian and I wanted to date, but it never dawned on me that I should put the two of those things together. And, and the fact that I was a Christian should have impacted the way I viewed dating. I didn't realize that as a Christian, God's word was offering me a completely different paradigm for dating than the world was offering me. So I probably don't have to convince you just how different the world thinks of dating, right? Think about the different pictures of dating and romance that we're exposed to now, right? How do your friends and your classmates and your teammates talk about dating? What's just the language and the expectation, the, the, the vibe that they get about dating, right? Or how do, you talk, how do your parents talk about it? Or how do your parents not talk about it? Which also says something about what they think about dating. What about um, how relationships are portrayed in the media you consume, right? In the movies you watch, TV shows. How is romance advertised to us in social media feeds and YouTube ads, right? How are dating apps structured and what are the priorities that people put out there in dating apps? How do the people you follow on Instagram portray romance? What, what are Korean dramas, right? If not a window into the heart, right? How many of you guys are into Korean dramas? Anyone here? All right. Um, most of you are, you're just lying about it. So, and, and I think this is, and this is just like how like a fish, right? Is aware, is not aware of how wet it is. Like we sometimes are not aware of how much the atmosphere of the culture has infiltrated and impacted us and shaped our expectations of what dating and romance are supposed to be like. But, <clears throat> but this is one of those areas that if we are believers, if we're followers of Christ, that we don't want to automatically just assume that what's out there in the world is right. Just like everything else in life, we want to be able to bring it to God's word and say, God, what do you think about this? You made the world, you made romance, you made marriage, you made all this stuff. So you have an opinion, God. You have the instructions for how this stuff is supposed to work. We are Christians. 
right? We're set apart from the world. We live for a different God with different goals. We take our cues and and submit to scripture, right? Everything in life is meant to be different for us if we're Christians, which means things like dating, marriage, romance, sex, all of that is different because we're Christians. And not just different, but it's also better because romance and relational intimacy are God's ideas. He's not surprised by this stuff. He's not like, oh my gosh, what are they doing down there? Like he invented all the feelings you feel. He invented all these different things, all these manifestations of romance. He knows what it's about because he made it. And because of that, it's not evil, right? It's not wrong or sinful, right? For romance to be something in life. God is not ashamed of it. God is not embarrassed by it. But if he made it, that means that he knows best how we're supposed to experience them. The problem is that the world foolishly thinks that it has a better plan for romance and relational intimacy than the very one who invented them. So I don't know if you, how many of you guys have been in the church office, like where all the pastors work, but uh, I put up a fish tank there like years ago. And uh, it was really sad for a long time. Um, most of the fish died. And like literally just like a week and a half ago, I bought an obscene amount of fish and I put them all in there. It is looking great. Um, but one of the things that's been there for a long time that I love are shrimp. If you ever are in there, it's like these teeny tiny little red shrimp that are called like cherry shrimp. And then there's also these like monster looking like clear lobster looking dudes that are in there. They're just like insane. And so I love these shrimp. They're so like, I don't know, they're just out there doing shrimpy stuff. And um, but there was one day where I got a text message from one of the staffers who was working and they said, I found a shrimp next to my desk. And this person's desk was like literally 20 feet away from the fish tank. And so and it, it, when they found it, it was just like a dried up desiccated shell of a shrimp, right? And I'm just thinking like, what was this shrimp thinking? You know, just chilling out in the water. And then all of a sudden, I say, you know what? I'm kind of curious about that big void up there. I'm just gonna, yeah, you know what? I'm doing it. Today's the day. I'm, today's the day, right? And all the other shrimp friends should have said, hey, maybe take several seats and sit down. <laughs> and, but no, I'm going for it, right? So he goes out of the tank and he says, you know, this is great. Can't breathe, but this is great. You know, and he just starts climbing out of the thing, hits the, you know, hits the, the floor. It's like, you know what? This is exactly what I want. You know, the answer must be, it must be farther out there. This whole, you know, suffocating kind of feeling, probably not great, but I, whatever it is I'm looking for, it's gotta be out there somewhere. And he just keeps crawling and crawling and crawling until eventually it finds itself like at the end of, the end of you know, Sammy Kawakami's desk and it just like dr- dies and dries up, right? And maybe I'm, and, you know, associating a little too much emotion and, and thinking to the shrimp, but you have to wonder like, what was your goal? Like, what did you think was going to happen when you left the place that you were designed to live in, right? Nothing good was going to come from that. And I think sometimes when we're trying to figure out life about dating or anything else, we sometimes think, you know what? I'm willing to bet that the world's idea of how all this is supposed to work, it's got to be better than what God says. It's got to be. And I think in those moments, what's happening is we're acting like a dumb shrimp. Like we think that the answer in life and satisfaction are out there when in fact we were made for God. We were made to live in God's world, God's way. <clears throat> and so if we follow God's design, God's plans and God's purposes, we can be assured that that's where we'll find true joy and true happiness and satisfaction. This is for dating, for everything else. And it's gonna look different from what you expect or what the world expects, but it will be better because that's exactly what God has designed. I think one of the challenges of trying to come to an understanding of Christian dating is that in one sense, the Bible doesn't say anything about dating. Uh, years ago, uh, when Justin Lee was in youth group, where's Justin at? When Justin Lee was in youth group, I was teaching on dating and I played a trick on Justin. And I have this Bible tool, it's like a big book called a concordance. And it's every single word that occurs in the Bible, right? And I said, okay, Justin, we're gonna study dating. What I want you to do, you little boy, is I want you to find every occurrence of the word dating in the Bible. And he has to go find it. And so he's looking for it. He's looking for it. And he was so small. This book's like huge. It's like, you know, just, you know, and he's looking for it, looking for it. And he says, I can't find it. Right. And, and it's like, yeah, you idiot. Cause it's not in there. Ha. <laughs> yeah. Let's close in prayer. And, and so, but, and so the whole point of the, me playing this trick on him was to show him that the word dating, as we understand it, right. This whole idea of like people getting ready for marriage together, like that word does not occur in scripture you're not going to find it. You can look all throughout Genesis to Revelation and it's not there. And 
<clears throat> and so the word dating is not there. And honestly, the Bible says very little that is prescriptive, meaning like, here's how you do it. There's no how-to manual about how a man and a woman are supposed to prepare for marriage. It's just not there. It's not like the 11th commandment, like thou shalt date in this way. Like that verse is not in there. So in one sense, you could look at the Bible and say, okay, it doesn't say a lot about dating. But at the same time, the Bible says everything about dating because the Bible says everything about life. Uh, one of my favorite passages in scripture that proves this is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. I'll just read it to you. Uh, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so what the Bible says about itself is that it's breathed out by God, it's inspired by God, it's able to do all this stuff and transform you and change you and train you and, and change your thinking. And it's able to equip you for every good work. Whatever it is, whatever responsibility you have in life, whether it's going to college, doing your homework, getting along with your parents, or dating, God's word is able to equip you for that and speak into it. So even though the Bible says nothing about dating in one sense, the Bible says everything about dating because the Bible says everything about life. Now, actually, I think a lot of where Christian conversations in the church and in the Christian world kind of fall short sometimes as we're talking about dating is that we limit it to these verses in the Bible that only talk about marriage, right? And I think there's something good about that instinct. Like, okay, if we're going to talk about dating, let's, let's look at what the Bible says about marriage. That's, we're going to get to that, why having this marriage mindset is important. But there's actually a really limited number of passages in the Bible that talk specifically about marriage. And they're really important. And we're going to look at one of them today. But sometimes what happens is you take just those few passages and then you start to kind of extrapolate them and say, oh, well, is that how dating is supposed to work, right? So if we see a passage about like wise submitting to husbands, is that what, you know, is my girlfriend supposed to be like submitting to me when I'm like 17 years old, right? Is that a kind of a, the expectation? And, and so we do see, we're gonna look at one of these really significant marriage passages to kind of inform our dating. But what I want you guys to understand is that if you wanna understand dating, you have to understand everything that the Bible says about everything. And specifically, how, what, everything that the Bible says about relationships and how we treat one another and how we ought to bear one another's burdens and confront one another's sins and love one another and sacrifice one another. All these normal things that Christians are called to do in Scripture, like we're all supposed to import all of those things into our understanding of dating. All of Scripture speaks to it. It's not like there's one magic passage, one magic principle we look at all the scripture to tell us what <clears throat> marriage and dating is all about. And so what we're going to do is we are going to look at one passage today that is maybe one of the most important passages in the Bible about marriage. And we're going to use that as kind of a launching point to talk about what we can glean about dating from that. Okay. So go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter five. Okay. Ephesians chapter five. And we're going to be looking at verses 22 to 23. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. And so there's a lot of verses here, and we're going to read all of them. And actually, when we get to Colossians, what you're going to see is that that's kind of like the Note version of this. And so we're going to not touch everything in this passage. What we're going to do is kind of like cherry pick a couple principles from it and see what it tells us about dating, okay? Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
Okay, this is God's word. Okay, there's a lot in here. And there's probably a lot of things that jump out of these verses and say, whoa, hold on, slow down there. What in the world does that mean? And we can definitely talk about them. We're not going to talk about all of them today. And what we're going to do is just use this passage as a jumping off point to try to come at a definition of Christian dating and, and lay out what I think it means, what we should be talking about as we're talking about dating as Christians. And then next week, we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of like, what does it actually look like when you're dating as a Christian? So before we get into this, though, I, I do want to kind of preface this with something, right? We're going to put this definition out there, which essentially is going to be, you know, for lack of better words, a, a statement like, this is how it should work. This is what you're supposed to do. Here's the standard, right? Here's what God's instructions are for us. And at some point, at some point, you're going to think, I don't know. I, I don't measure up to this. I'm doing it wrong or I've done it wrong. And maybe even if dating isn't something that you're doing right now or you're interested in, the day is going to come when, I'm sure as you will, that you'll be reflecting on this sermon and all the other sermons I've ever given you and you've memorized them and think about them all the time. And you're going to think like, I messed up. I didn't do this the way God told me to. And you'll feel as if you are failing or you've messed up and you didn't fit the mold. And somehow you've gotten off track and your life is now doomed. I think there's a couple different ways that you can kind of respond when you get to that point. I think you can get defensive, right? If you kind of realize that, wow, my life looks really different from what the Bible says it's supposed to. You get defensive, right? You start to justify your reasons for dating, like who you're dating, why you're dating. You could get defeated, right? You think, well, that's what I'm supposed to do and I didn't do it. In fact, I messed up so badly and it's all ruined now. And I've ruined my chances of being able to have a good romantic life. I've ruined my chances of having a great marriage or whatever the case might be. Um, growing up, there was a really famous book that came out about when I was your guys' age called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And it was kind of the start. Actually, anyone who's my age, kind of that generation, you all remember this book. And it was kind of the start of this whole thing of like Christians kind of starting to take dating seriously in one sense. Uh, and really thinking about what it meant to be holy and be pure and to look at marriage as kind of the end goal of a dating relationship. And it was really helpful in a lot of ways. But one of the things that it did unfortunately bring with it was kind of this expectation that, oh, if this is the way I'm supposed to date, and if I just do that, then that's like the magic formula that will unlock a happy future. Then I'll have like my super hot Christian wife, right? If I just follow the rules, right, and do it, then God will reward me, right, with a great marriage. Or if I just keep my purity the right way, then that means that sex and marriage is gonna be amazing and awesome and everything will be fine. And I think what it did for a lot of people was it made them really think that if I mess up or if I deviate from the path or I made some kind of mistake or I sin grievously, that all that is lost and I have no hope at all. And I wanna tell you that that is not true that the gospel's power is not limited and by someone's failure in dating, by your own impurity, by your own fallenness, by whatever mistakes you feel like you've made. The gospel is able and sufficient to meet and succeed and, and help and redeem every single failure we've ever made. I'm a walking testament to this. You know, I, the fact that I'm married to Jamie is an act of God's grace despite me, not because of me. And so if, and I know for, beyond a shadow of a doubt that God can redeem and use even foolish dating. And uh, we don't want to be foolish on purpose, but we don't want to despair over it. I think another way that you can kind of respond if you feel as if you're missing the mark in dating is you can withdraw, right? Again, if here's like the, the you know, quote unquote perfect way to do it or the right way to do it, and you don't, you're not doing it right for whatever reason, you feel like you want to hide it. It's like, I mean, maybe there's this expectation like, oh, I know I'm not supposed to date and I don't want my Christian friends to think poorly of me, so I just won't tell anybody. Or my parents don't think I'm supposed to date, so I'm just going to kind of keep it on the down low and not tell them I'm talking with this boy or whatever. And you keep it a secret. And my encouragement to you would be to let other people walk with you. Please, please, please do not date in secret. Don't think that it's going to get better because you're hiding it from people. In fact, it's one of those things like if, if your heart and the romantic part of your life is one of these really important parts of who God has made you to be. And for these important parts of who God has made us to be, we need the wisdom and care of wise Christian friends and wise Christian counselors to walk with us. So let other people walk with you. 
And don't feel like you need to kind of polish up your relationship first to get it to be perfectly right before you tell other people that where you're at. It's okay that things are messy. It's okay that you feel messy. But tell your friends. Tell your small group, right? Um, tell wise Christian friends. And I know you're not going to like this. I, you need to talk to your parents. Uh, believe it or not, your parents have a little bit more experience in, in the realm of romance and dating and all this stuff than, than you do. And I know that that might feel like just the most impossible conversation to have, but I mean, when was the last time you guys talked about that stuff with your parents? And my encouragement to you would be to invite them into these conversations now before things get really complicated and really hairy. Um, and we can talk more about that, but I think it's one of the most important things you can do is to have an open line of communication with your families and the people that care about you, about all this stuff. So God is gracious, right? He, he, he's so gracious to forgive us of our sin and his sovereign love is at work in and through our foolishness and our failure to work all things for good. And so even if you feel as if like things are messy for you, it's okay. You can go to God with it and love one another and marry each other's burdens in it, okay? All right, so Christian dating defined, okay? I wanna kind of get at a, a definition of Christian dating and then we're gonna kind of unpack it, okay? So Christian dating is a mutual commitment between a Christian man and a Christian woman to test their relationship for marriage for the glory of God, okay? That should be right there in your notes. And I know it's the most clinical, nothing particularly romantic sounding about that, right? You know, but I think that this, is, this does kind of capture a lot of the principles about what God really intends and what God's designs are for romance. And we're gonna kind of walk our way through some of these words in this definition, okay? And some of them are gonna take a long time to explain. Some of them are gonna take a very short time to explain. For instance, when I say that a Christian dating is a mutual thing, by that I mean like both people kind of need to want this, right? And so if you are, if, you know, I don't know guys, if you, if you really wanna date this girl and they don't wanna date you, I'm, I hate to break it to you, you're not dating, okay? <laughs> you kind of both need to want to date, you know, in order, for, in order for dating to actually happen. Let's just assume that to be the case, right? That you, people that are dating mutually wanna date. Um, but it's a mutual commitment, okay? It's a commitment, right? This is not casual, right? There's this volitional, conscious decision that the status of your relationship has changed and you're committing yourself to this person for a very specific purpose, right? It's a commitment. And I know that this is kind of one of the things that tends to characterize romance of this age, right? Of this culture, right? Where you don't want to put labels on stuff. You don't want to just you know, people are slow to define things. Like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what all stuff is. But I think with that comes a lack of commitment, right? I think if we see, and we're gonna see this kind of unpacked, right? Like what's at stake here when it comes to romance? And because of the significance of it, it has to be something that we're committed to. Now, if, you, if someone's asking you out to coffee or you ask someone else out to, you know, to, to go to the mall or something like that, like that's not the same thing as proposing, right? But there shouldn't be a vagueness about why you're doing it. So there's this purposed commitment and a resolve to the way Christians date. So Christian dating is a mutual commitment and it's between a Christian man and a Christian woman. Okay, so Paul, in this passage that we just read in Ephesians 5, he's giving this paradigm for marriage, right? And Paul describes marriage as being between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. And this means that Christian dating must also be limited to, between, to being between a man and a woman. So at this point, I'm going to pause a little bit and, and have a little talk with you about this. Now, we don't have time to say everything about what the Bible says about same-sex attraction or gender identity, okay? And a few months ago, Pastor Tim came and he talked about some of this stuff in way greater detail, and it was awesome. Uh, and so we're not going to kind of cover everything or answer every single question you might have about this, but I did want to offer a few comments. So already that statement, right? The statement about Christian dating or Christian romance or romance at all being between a man and a woman exclusively, the statement feels completely at odds with the culture that we're in, right? I think that the world would hear this, your friends, your teachers, any number of people would hear this and immediately think that we're judgmental and we're closed-minded and we're unloving for saying and believing things like that, right? You can probably think of all the kinds of objections and reasons why someone might, you know, um, uh, raise in order to support same-sex relationships, right? You hear things like, well, love is love. Why does it matter what their gender is, right? It's not hurting anyone, right? If both people want it, then who are we to tell them that they can't be happy? And more than this just being an issue of like who gets to experience romance with another person, right? It also seems to touch on 
how people view themselves, right? And this idea of my identity and this is who I really am. And this matter of, of who we're attracted to can feel inseparable from who that person is. It just feels so intertwined and deeply connected to who they are. And so when a Christian has this conviction that God designed romance to be between a man and a woman, it can feel as if we're rejecting who that person is, period. And not just telling them like, well, I just don't think that this is where romance is supposed to be directed. It can feel as if you're rejecting the entirety of who they are because this is so close to them. And I'm gonna guess that in a room with this many people in it, there are some of you who are all over the map, right? Like for some of you, you, you hear the statement and you agree with it. Like you, you trust the Bible, you know the Bible's true. For some of you, you hear this and you agree with it, you know the Bible's true, but secretly you sometimes wish that it wasn't. It would make life a little easier, wouldn't it, right? And maybe it doesn't feel right to you because the world keeps telling you something different and you wrestle with it. Like, I know this is what the Bible says, but there's so much around me that seems to be trying to convince me that it's okay. And honestly, part of their arguments feel convincing to me. And for some of you, you just don't buy it at all, okay? You, you, you understand what the Bible says and you just, you don't believe it. Like, you don't understand the Bible's position. You don't agree with it. Maybe for some of you, this is particularly difficult to hear because you feel as if you're on the side of the equation. You experience same-sex attraction. And so for a pastor, right, to come up here and say things like this, it can be really painful and really frustrating to hear. And it can feel like, do I belong here, right? These are the things that I feel and things that I experience. And so let me make a couple of points about this. And I wish that there was more time to talk about it, but just a couple of things. As Christians, we believe what God's word says, period. That's who we are as Christians. We are people who submit ourselves to what God says in his word. And whatever God says in his word is what is good and right. I, I, I don't get to decide what's right and wrong. I, am, I don't have that ability. And my feelings don't dictate what is right and what is wrong. As Christians, one of the things that God does in us is he calls us to submit to his word. Whatever his word says, no matter how challenging or difficult or confusing it might be, we submit to it because God's word is always right. Another thing to think about is that homosexuality and same-sex attraction are not some special category of sin, right, that's unforgivable or is like the worst kind of sin in God's eyes. Every person in this room, myself included, is broken with regards to our sexuality in some way. We're all sexually broken in some way. And that brokenness looks different from person to person. And speaking from experience, if anyone, if, if the gospel can change me, in my brokenness, and if the gospel has given me hope and rescued me and changed me, then God can do that for anybody. I truly believe that. And, and if you feel like this is something that you experience or are struggling with, I wanna tell you how happy we are that you're here, that you're not alone, and that we wanna walk with you in this. And you probably have a lot of questions and a lot of hurt and a lot of pain, and that's okay. We wanna walk with you in it, okay? So we're gonna kind of, wrap that part of the discussion, but Christian dating, because Christian and Christian marriage is intended to be between a man and a woman. So Paul also assumes that these men and this man and this woman in this Christian relationship, this Christian marriage are Christians, right? So right, both the husband and the wife are called to reference their faith in Christ. They're called to, ref, and he references the work of Christ as the motivation and the model for how they're supposed to fulfill their roles. Right, their marriage is meant to be this picture of Christ's love for the church, right? a picture of the church's love for Christ. Jesus is all over this marriage, right? And that is only possible when the two people in the marriage are believers and are followers of Christ together. What this means is that Christians should marry other Christians, and therefore Christians should only date other Christians. That seems like a pretty absolute statement. But I think Paul has an even more absolute way of talking about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Let me read this to you. You can write it down. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15. Paul says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with unbelievers? 
There's a lot there. So he's asking, like, he's saying, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do you guys know what a yoke is, right? Not like someone who's like super buff. It's a, a yoke where it was an agricultural tool to be able to tie two animals together so they could do agricultural work, like pull a plow or something like that, right? And so the idea of yoking two animals together required that you yoke two animals together of equal capacity and strength and direction, right? So you take two oxen and you put them together, right? It would be foolish for you to take an oxen, put it on one side of the yoke, and then like a bunny rabbit and strap it to the other side of the yoke. Can you imagine the bunny just like up way up high, just like scrambling his little legs trying to move forward? Like, where's it going to go? The, the whole thing is not going to plow straight. It's not going to plow well. It'll kind of veer off to the side. It'll look ridiculous. And that's kind of Paul's point is that we're not to be unequally yoked in relationship, that God is calling us to be yoked together with someone else who's going to pull towards the glory of God in the same way as we are. Paul says in that verse that Christians and non-Christians are fundamentally different at the most important level, which God they serve. And if you're a Christian, right, and your goal in life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your boyfriend or your girlfriend is not, that means that they love something else with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So God's design for you in marriage is to be married to someone that you can link hands and hearts with as you run towards the goal of knowing Christ and making him known. And I know some of you guys may be thinking, well, I mean, what if, what if I, you know, I just like this guy and he's really nice. He's not a Christian yet, <laughs> you know? And maybe if I, you know, date him and then, you know, show him, tell him the gospel, I can kind of evangelize to him. And, you know, maybe he'll start coming to church and we'll get saved. And then, and then it'll all be worked out. And I would have done it for God's glory. How about that? Does that work? And I know marriage is like that. I know couples that have experienced that. Even marriages in our church. Maybe some of your parents were like that. Um, but I'm not convinced that's the wisest thing. Yeah, you know, sometimes people call it missionary dating. You guys ever heard that, that term before? Like you're seeing your, your dating relationship as like a, this missions field. And I think it's really an unwise thing. One is because you can't control, right, ultimately whether or not this person is going to be saved. That's not up to you. And the other thing is, yeah, you should want them to be saved, but I would question whether or not a dating relationship is really the context to do that in, right? And, and the other thing too is that if he's not a Christian or if she's not a Christian, inevitably they're yoked to something else right? They're bowing down to something else, and you will also be pulled in that direction. And I know, right, that some of you will be tempted to think, well, I'm spiritually stronger than that, and I can handle it. I'm the exception to the rule. I think I can convince them. And I would encourage you to have a little bit of humility, and maybe not think of yourself so highly as you, ought, as, as you think. And so all I have to say is, I really think that dating a non-Christian for the purpose of evangelizing them is not a really wise tactic. And so Paul is assuming right? It is a man and a woman, and they are Christians, okay? All right, let's move over to the next part of the definition. The whole reason why they're in this relationship, why they're in this mutual commitment together, and this is a big one, is to test their relationship for marriage, to test their relationship for marriage. This has to be a big part of the framework for your understanding of a dating relationship, right? When you say that you're dating somebody, what you're really saying is, I am testing this relationship for marriage. And the reason I believe this to be the case is because of the way the Bible talks about marriage and how highly it talks about it and what priority has been given in scripture. So marriage is the only romantic human relationship in the Bible that gets a thumbs up. It's the only one that is commended and spoken well of and said like, hey, this is a great thing. This is awesome. There's no real positive attention given to anything else, any other kind of romantic relationship outside of marriage. Other romantic relationships are clearly described, or they're either clearly describing someone like on the way to marriage or that relationship is condemned and it's a bad idea. And marriage is also the most significant human relationship that exists. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Right, that passage right, about the two, becoming, uh, uh, the two leaving their parents and joining together and becoming one flesh, do you guys recognize where that passage comes from? Does anyone know where that comes from? It comes from the book of Genesis. And it's what God declared over Adam and Eve when he created them and he joined them together in marriage. It is the most significant passage about, scripture, about marriage in the Bible. And from the very beginning, God designed husband and wife to come together to become one flesh. 
This idea of becoming one flesh, there's like a physical union that takes place in marriage, but it's not just physical. And you think, okay, well, there's also like a legal thing that happens, right? You go to the court and you sign a thing and now you're, you know, one household together. But it's more than that. To be one flesh is a spiritual union. It means that you are now joined together spiritually. And so when Jamie and I made a covenant before God together on, on our anniversary, uh, when we got married, uh, like what was happening was we then were joined together to become one flesh together. Now I'm, you know, I'm my own person. She's her own person. And we maintain our separate identities and we're, you know, we are independent people. But in God's eyes, something has happened so that my life is now in, inextricably bound to her so that what happens to her now happens to me. And what happens to me now happens to her. It is a spiritual union that has taken place. And the Bible says this is the closest, most important human relationship that exists. So I know your parents love you and I know you're important to your parents, but biblically, you are not more important in a more important human relationship than your parents' marriages to one another. Because only the marriage is this one flesh union. You don't share that with anybody else other than a spouse. So all that to say is that when the Bible talks about marriage, it is the most significant human relationship that is described. And if marriage is this central, and if it's this important, then if we're gonna say anything about dating or any other romantic relationship, it has to be marriage-minded. So one of the underlying questions in any dating relationship has to be, is this going to lead to marriage? That's a really heavy question for anyone to ask, right? And it's a really heavy question, particularly for a high schooler to ask. And so just imagine, you know, one day when the time is right, you're, you're dating someone, you know, you're kind of, and, and you're trying to assess this relationship. Is it going towards, some, towards marriage, right? And, and if you say, yeah, it is, I think so, then great, you've answered that question. That's successful dating. But if you decide as you evaluate that relationship is not headed in that direction, you don't think marriage is really gonna be on the table, you don't think marriage is gonna be an option, great, you've still answered that question. That's still also successful dating, right? And maybe that relationship will not continue on in a romantic way, you can still be friends, you can be co-laborers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, but you may not be married, and that's fine. But the whole point of the season of dating is to test it to see if this is going to lead to marriage. And the last point, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, is that, is that all of this is supposed to be for the glory of God, right? If you, sometimes when you talk to people about dating, right, what it kind of becomes is this like laundry list or like a wish list of things that you want your spouse to be or your partner to be. Obviously, I want someone like super hot, uh, be great as she could cook, you know, be great as she was nice with, good with kids, super smart, made a lot of money, you know, um, be nice if she was, you know, not taller than me, obviously, can't ha- let that happen. And you kind of put this together, this wish list, like of all these different things that like, you know, um, you kind of want in a spouse or want in a partner, right? But what is that really ultimately? It's just about me. It's just like my wish list of all these things that are there to make me happy and, and serve my needs and serve my desires. And my life is not about me. My life is about the glory of God. And so that means that even as I'm trying to test out a relationship to see, am I, could I be married to this person? One of the filters that has to be in place, more important than am I compatible with them? Do I get along with them? You know, do they make me laugh? Do we have fun together? Am I attracted to them? The most significant question you can answer, ask is, are we going to be able to glorify God together? Are we moving in a direction where God is glorified because of our union together? So the glory of God is the end goal for everything in the Christian life, including dating. Okay, now we'll wrap up with this. If this is our definition for dating, there's two implications, at least these two implications I want you to think about. One is that you need to take dating seriously. You need to take dating seriously. But one of the hallmarks of this generation is that romance is a casual or a careless thing where you can flirt, you can give away your affections like it's nothing, you jump from person to person, you entangle yourself with people romantically. It's like, it's just not, it's not that serious. We're just messing around. We're just goofing around. Who knows what this is? But if it's true that the Bible says that romance is reserved, um, for our, or is reserved for or is meant to be leading to marriage, then how you pursue a romantic relationship is a serious thing, right? We're dealing with something that is precious and costly and to be careless with it is to cheapen it. Of course, dating can and should be fun. I feel like I'm still dating Jamie. It's super fun. I love dating Jamie. Uh, it should be enjoyable to get to know somebody 
but at the same time is something that has to be taken seriously because you're dealing with your soul and you're dealing with somebody else's soul, somebody else's heart and somebody else's life. There's a flip side of this too, that there's some people who take dating too seriously or you might take yourself too seriously, right? Like imagine someone of the opposite gender coming up to you after youth group and they ask you how your week was and like, so don't freak out and think, oh my gosh, I can't marry this man, right? Don't, don't take yourself too seriously. But, but once it becomes clear that there's more to this, more to romance than just, well, I feel this way, therefore I should act on it, you need to take it seriously. If we need to take dating seriously, then one of the most important questions to ask is whether or not marriage is even a reasonable option for you in the near future. But I think when I talk to high school students about this or college students, or even sometimes young adults, like this is the million dollar question for them. It's like, when can I date? Can I date now? Next year? Junior year? Senior year? College? When can I date? Right? <clears throat> and if, <clears throat> excuse me. So I think that there's a lot of factors that go into this, but if marriage is not on the radar for you, right? If it's not something that you're moving towards or able to pursue in the near term, then I think wisdom dictates that you probably shouldn't be dating. So guys, let me let's talk a little bit. Let's be real here. Are you ready to be a husband? Are you ready to be a husband? Are you ready to lead and love a wife? Are you ready to provide for yourself and for a family? Are you ready to have a child and be a father? Are you ready to be spiritually accountable for another soul? Are you ready to stand before God someday and to give an account for whether or not you presented your wife to him holy and blameless as a better person, a better follower of Christ? And are you ready to do that for the rest of your life? Ladies, are you ready to be a wife? Are you ready to partner yourself with another person? and submit yourself to the authority and leadership of a husband to take everything, every skill and, and, and bit of your intelligence and every facet of your being and leverage it to see Christ formed in your husband? Are you ready to have a child and to be a mother? I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that if you have AP tests coming up this year and you still have a PE requirement, that probably, probably, Marriage is not on the radar for you. Now, could I imagine the situation where there's some really mature, you know, high school, you know, high school student who is, I don't know, just going to become the world's greatest welder, you know, and, and like, and start providing for a family or just super godly, super mature right out the gate. Could I imagine a situation like that? Maybe, yeah. But if you can't stay out without asking your parents permission, if you can't pay your own cell phone bill or pay for your own boba, you probably can't be married. And take this advice for someone who dated their wife for nine years, right? Because probably some of you are thinking, well, I just, yeah, I know I'm not an adult now. I can't get married now, but, you know, but what if I just date for a long time? A long, 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 long time, right? And I don't take this as a gospel, as like, thus saith the Lord, but as someone who did that for nine years, I don't know how wise it was. And God was gracious to me, but again, he was gracious to me despite me, not because of my wisdom. And so, this is not like a, thus saith the Lord, and if I find out that you're dating now, right? As I know, and so I know some of you guys are. If I find out that you're dating now, it's not like I'm gonna like anathematize you and kick you out of the church or something like that or tell on you or whatever. Like, no, there's wisdom here and there's some flexibility, right? And, but the more important thing is like, are we going into this with the right perspective and with the right considerations? And this might feel as if like, it kind of takes the wind out of your sail, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you just told me I can't date till I'm like 50 or whatever. And you think, but like, and part of you might be objecting, like, think like, well, but I really like them. I just want to date, right? I think that's honestly like the, the reason why probably a lot of people date. It's like, I just want to. I just feel really strongly about this person. I just want to do it. Let me do it. It's like, okay, that's great. And God wired you to feel those feelings. There's a lot of that that is natural and good. There's nothing wrong with feeling attracted to somebody. There's nothing wrong with desiring romance and closeness with somebody. But don't fall into the trap of believing that just because you really want something means that you should have it, right? Because what are our hearts? They are deceitful and wicked and we're in bondage to so many idols. And just to live a life because like, well, I just want it, so I should do it. That is the height of folly. And so <clears throat> you need to take dating seriously. Last point here is you need to be clear in your intentions. 
You need to be clear in your intentions, right? In today's culture, there's almost a sense of pride that romantic relationships are vague and undefined, right? You ask somebody like, hey, you're spending a lot of time with that person. Like, what's going on? I don't know, just hanging out, hanging out, you know, it is what it is, you know? But there's no real clarity there. There's no understanding in anyone's mind what's happening. But if dating is to be marriage-minded and we're testing it to see if it's leading towards marriage, then it's necessary to make it clear. So maybe in the distant future, right, when you're, when you're saying it's time to date, right, at some point early on in your interaction with somebody, right, if there's a sense that things are going well and progressing, you're getting along and you're growing closer together, at some point it's necessary to put your cards on the table and decide, like, where is this going, right? At this point, is marriage a possibility in the future, right? Not next week, you know, but is this, is this something that we're able to actually look forward to and say, yeah, this I think is coming and this is something we want to consider. And if it's not moving towards marriage, then what is it that you're doing? Like, honestly, what is it that you're doing if marriage is not on the radar, not on the table? You have to question whether or not your interaction with that person is really appropriate. So what does this look like? Right, let's say there's someone that you want to get to know and you think maybe there's something there, right? You have a couple options. Like one option is just sort of hang around. Just kind of be around. Just kind of you just be around them all the time. Just kind of hover, right? You drop little hints here and there about how available, how awesome you are. You get to know that person's friends, right? And you hope that you kind of like relationally flank them so that they, you know, their, friend, their friends like you so that maybe they'll tell their friend about you and they'll kind of, you know, have some kind of like transitive property of likingness happening. And you think you're being strategic. You're getting, you're setting things up, right? And you're getting the board ready for your master play. And meanwhile, the person you're interested in has like no idea what you're doing. You're just a super awkward person that's just hanging around all the time. Are they being friendly? Are they interested in me? Are they just being creepy? I have no idea. But if you want to get to know somebody in that way and kind of take a step closer to discerning whether or not marriage would be on the table, here's a novel idea. If you want to get to know somebody, tell them you want to get to know them. Right? This doesn't have to be a marriage proposal. Right? And it doesn't even have to be like, you know, excuse me, I'd like to enter a mutual commitment with you to, to test this marriage, this relationship, to see if at least the marriage, you know, please. You know, but you tell them, you know, I'm really enjoying our friendship. And I'd really like to continue to get to know you and see if there's something more, right? Guys, you write that down because one day it's going to come in handy. So that's a working definition of marriage, okay? Right? And if that's like the skeleton for what Christian dating is, then what we're going to do next week is we're going to try to put meat on the bones and try to flesh things out. Uh, and we'll talk about that next week. Uh, and so I'm going to close there. Um, but really, guys, I hope as you guys are talking in your small groups that you're going to talk honestly about this. This is kind of a weird thing. Um, and, but I really hope that you guys are able to ask your questions and hopefully even get some answers. But let's, let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the clarity of your word. And I know this is a big topic and uh, in one sense an exciting one, but also a challenging one. And people here have so many different relationships to relationships. And um, it's just hard to tease out sometimes and things can feel so confusing. So I pray, God, that your word would be clarifying and you would allow us to humble ourselves before it, uh, to really see this part of our life, our, our romantic inclinations, our sexuality, our desires, as something that is meant to be used for your glory and for the blessing of the world. And so, God, would you allow our, our small group time to be helpful, edifying, and humbling. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and slip into our small groups. And uh, yeah, so... Maybe try to wrap.